With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If uh, you're new to my show, you might be surprised to hear that I'm a survivor of domestic violence and even financial abuse. But I don't blame my perpetrator. I, uh, in many ways, have worked hard through therapy to forgive to understand, to understand that family violence always is cyclical. They learned it from somewhere. Bullies create bullies. There are, you know, when when people say, oh, you know, you got to really protect these survivors and get these perpetrators, these bad guys behind bars. I say, you know what? These are our brothers. These are our fathers. These are our uncles. These are our cousins. We need to talk Less about, you know, telling women they've got to change and leave and do things and talk about how we're raising our boys and what we can do to help our boys rein in their testosterone. Look at men have higher testosterone levels than women do. Testosterone is sometimes associated with aggression. It is their fight or flight. Often when a guy is frustrated, uh, not a guy who's a domestic violence perpetrator, but He'll be in a conflict with his intimate person and he needs to go out for a run. He'll say, I just got to go for a run. We'll talk about it later. You know what? You need to let him do that. Okay. His testosterone is making him physically active. And if there's a boy who was not taught healthy conflict resolution skills or worse, witnessed domestic violence in his own household, that those are the tools that are available to him. So I, I'm not about the blame game. I'm more about having a deeper understanding. But one of the things that bothers me is people always, it seems, not always, but I, I often hear people blame the victim. And they're like, why does she stay? She's so stupid. Why does she stay? I felt stupid myself because I stayed for a very long time, nine years. I stayed for all kinds of reasons. And some of them I'm going to go over right now. Um, and I just want to remind everybody. That if you are in immediate danger or you need anonymous and confidential help, you can always call the National Domestic Violence Hotline. You can text them if you go on their website. I think it's the hotline.org. Um, speak with a trained advocate for free as many times as you need. In fact, I traveled to their head office in Austin, Texas one time, and I had the honor of being able to sit in on some of those phone calls with the permission of the woman or man who was calling in. And they're really highly trained, uh, not volunteers, paid people on those phones. And that's why if you're thinking of giving to any organization, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is a good one, too. Um, so let's, according to them, let's talk about some of the reasons that victims stay. Uh, one is it started out great. There's a honeymoon phase at the beginning of every bad relationship. And often now, in healthy long-term monogamous relationships, researchers have found that one of the things that gets them through the little bumpy times, because every relationship has its bumps, is they go, they romanticize the beginning. 
They go back to, oh, remember our first date? Remember the first time we went on that trip that weekend away? Oh, remember our wedding, right? And so they go back and form a positive delusion of their partner during a time of stress where their partner is like not making them so happy. Now, that is a healthy, healthy technique if you're in an overall healthy relationship. But if you are in a toxic relationship, that can be used in a negative way to keep you there. Now, the other thing is domestic violence offenders work in a cycle of violence. They don't like the fact that their bodies have acted out. They don't want the person to leave. In fact, evolutionary psychologists would say domestic violence is just an extreme version of mate guarding. They're guarding their mate from other people. They're guarding their mate uh, from leaving them. It's actually a deep-seated abandonment anxiety. Um, And so after the eruption of violence, they feel awful. Often they don't even know the monster that came out of them. So what follows right afterwards? An amazing honeymoon phase. They do everything they can to reel her back in. I'll tell you one time, uh, we were broken up. We were separate. Uh, He invited me over for dinner with the kids. And he does not drink, and he's a vegetarian. He had a very expensive bottle of red wine. He made me a steak. He had the kids saying to me, Mommy, please, let's all live together again. It was, I I had tears down my face and I looked up at him and somehow I was able to say, I know this is false advertising. I can't come back. But it's not that it hadn't worked many times before, but I was at a place where I could say that this is false advertising. Now, here's another thing. I didn't suffer from this, but a lot of women do. They mistake trauma bonding with destiny. So here's the thing. When you've had early childhood attachment ruptures, right? You have a faulty model for love in your head. You go meet this person who gives you that same kind of faulty love, but it feels perfect. And usually the sex is really hot. It feels like destiny. It feels like it's meant to be. And if you're one of those people that believes that love is a magic spell that just gets cast on you, which I don't, Uh, Then you're like, it's my soulmate. It's the one. And you stay because of that. Now, here's one of the reasons why I stayed and many victims stay. They have so much empathy and compassion for their partner that they don't want to abandon him. They literally think, what would happen to them? How would they survive without me and the family? How would life be? That's one of the reasons they stay. But on the flip side, they often stay also because they'd say, I don't want to be alone. Who would I be without him if I can just walk on eggshells and be careful and make sure he never gets angry? Then I won't have to be alone. And then the biggest one that's been documented over and over again is she had no resources. Uh, Often in domestic violence situations, the woman is the primary caregiver of children. She doesn't work. She doesn't have access to the bank accounts. She doesn't have a way to support her and her children. So I want you this holiday season to have some compassion for those people trapped in these toxic relationships. Compassion both for the perpetrator 
and the victim. They're living out a dangerous cycle that was taught to them as small children. All right, when we come back, you know the most important relationship you actually need to have in your life is the one you need to have with yourself. Let's talk about how to have a healthy relationship with you when we come back. You're listening to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. I like to think that I have a good relationship with myself. Kayla, do you think you have a good relationship with yourself? It got better when I moved out here, for sure. Really? When I put myself in a position where all I had was me, for the most part, that's what strengthened my relationship with myself, I'd say. So what are some of the things, in your opinion, that help you have a good relationship with yourself? What do you do? I journal, so I talk to myself and check in with myself. And when you read it back, it's like kind of an outside opinion, but an inside opinion. It's weird, but Mm -hmm. it's how it happens. And also, I I dated myself. So taking myself out to eat and going to the movies by myself and going to the beach by myself. So I really got to understand me and, and feel secure with just me. So I think all that kind of important self-care is really obviously important. I, like you, if I'm alone in my house, which is rare these days, uh, I cook myself a gourmet meal that because nobody likes their own food better than me. Trust me. Uh, and I trust you. I, I like cook this perfect little and I lay it out with like the fine china and crystal and pour the a fine glass of wine. And I just for one, just for one, there's always leftovers I put in Tupperware for when the others come home. But that's my way of treating myself and caring for myself. But the other thing that took me a long time to learn is that having a relationship with yourself means that, you know that old saying, you have to put your own oxygen mask on first before you can help anybody else? It's understanding not only your physical needs, practicing self-care, getting enough sleep, eating well, exercising, all that stuff, but also knowing that it's okay to have your own feelings and be aware of them and express them, basically growing emotional intelligence, even if it hurts somebody else's feelings. You know, sometimes having a good relationship with yourself is, means being super honest in your outside relationships. And sometimes it means giving others the gift of pain, making them sit with it, right? Not uh, enabling, not making, you know, making sure they never get upset and pleasing them all the time. So, One of the things that's probably paramount in having a healthy relationship with ourselves is to learn to pay attention to our inner dialogue. You see, we all got implanted with voices, not those kinds of voices where we hallucinate, but there are voices in our heads. There's a narrative going on. I happen to be an external processor, so my thoughts often come out for the first time out of my lips, which is a problem. There are times when that is a big problem. Uh, But like, for instance, Kayla, I was uh, on the break down in the kitchen there. And uh, I was talking to the machine. I, I was like, literally, like, <laughs> what is this sandwich? How do I put my credit card? What are you Dr. doing to me? Wendy. Right. But other people would have that dialogue inside their head. <laughs> Nobody was there. The machine did not talk back. That, that's good. But I do have the gift of being aware of my thoughts at all times. Relatable. Yeah. Now, early in life, well-meaning adults... sometimes implant negative voices in people's heads. You could do better. Why why aren't you trying harder? You're a bad girl. You're a bad boy, whatever. And those echo in our psyche. They program us in some ways. 
But I'm telling you, it is possible to change that inner dialogue, to actually catch yourself being self-critical and stopping. And psychologists would say you can do something called thought stopping and thought replacing. It's a thing. It's actually a prescription that some psychologists give out, thought stopping and thought replacing. To come up with a replacement thought, like mine was when I was healing, because I had all these abandonment issues, and I picked bad guys, and I realized it was related to the fact that my dad was in the Navy, and he was gone most of the time, and a young child doesn't understand that it's for work. They just feel abandoned and unloved, and so... My thought, replacement thought was, I don't laugh, okay? <laughs> My replacement thought was simply, daddy loves me. That's beautiful. Daddy loves me. I love that. And whenever some guy would ghost me or uh, cancel on me or be critical of me or whatever, I would just, oh, instead of going, oh, I, I must not be good enough, I'd quickly catch it, stop the thought and say, daddy loves me. Daddy loves me. And at the beginning, the thought sounded like this. Um, Daddy, Daddy loves me. Daddy loves me. Daddy loves me. By the end of it, it was like, Daddy loves me, babe. All right, I'm out of here. <laughs> like the whole voice changed inside my head even. Okay, I'm not hallucinating. We all have voices inside our head. Um, another th- way to have a better relationship with yourself is I know it's important that we always improve ourselves. I know we need to focus sometimes on what needs improving. However, we also need to have what's called ego strength. If we didn't have good ego strength, we would all sit at home in bed in the fetal position all day and be unable to even go out into the world. So I want you to work on increasing your ego strength by simply identifying more things about you that you're proud of. Like, I don't know, I like that I can cook. I like, oh, you know what I learned how to do this week? What? Kalk. Kalk. What's that? C-A-U-L-K. So I had some painting done in my place, and I didn't like the edges. The guys didn't do a good job. Guys are not as neat. So I watched some YouTube videos on how to scrape off the old caulking and put on new caulking and what kind to buy and how to buy a caulking gun. And then I went to Home Depot, and I interviewed the guy in the paint department, and he told me da 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 what to do. I'm telling you, if you can decorate a cake, you can caulk. In fact, I think women pay more attention to detail. You know, you just keep wetting your finger— And then running it along the edge to make it perfectly straight. And then wiping it on a wet rag. And then going again. It's beautiful. That's caulking. Caulking. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, I learned it Yeah, you can. Now that's a strength I have. I cook and I caulk. Caulk? Oh, no, that's not (laughs) the right word. That doesn't sound appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) That is not the right word. Oh, my God, It's got an L in it. All right, let's let's not get canceled today. Keep going. Okay, so consider your strengths. Spend some time. Write a list of your strengths if you need to. And the last thing is the thing that Kayla has down. Spend some time alone. Now, I don't want you to get too independent because a healthy relationship is about being interdependent, realizing you have needs, healthy needs, expressing them to a romantic partner, and finding partners who can meet your needs. Now, that doesn't mean being overly dependent and needy, but being too independent is not helpful for a close relationship either. No, no, but if, if you're, like you said earlier in the show, you're you're susceptible to being gaslighted and, 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 and yeah. you know, t- you taking out spend some time alone and exactly. know you can do it. Exactly, I needed it, I needed it. And while you're spending time alone and journaling, you're going to figure out what your core beliefs are mm-hmm. and you're going to own them. Yes. This is my rule. You know, when I set a boundary with people, 
I have a certain way that I say it. And when we come back, I'm going to explain to you my favorite technique of how to set a boundary with somebody you love or somebody you don't love, even if it's a coworker. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Wells Show on KFI AM 640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Just a reminder, I have a PhD in clinical psychology and I'm a psychology professor, but I'm not a therapist. I don't have a license, but I do love to weigh in with my life experience and research on other people's love lives. So thank you, if you trust me. I like to call it drive-by makeshift relationship advice. Uh, But, you know, I've been through a lot myself, so I can... Place it. Before I go to questions, and there are so many listener questions that have been flying in on my social media, if you'd like to follow me on social media and post a question, the handle everywhere is at Dr. Wendy Walsh. That's at Dr. Wendy Walsh. We mostly check TikTok and Instagram. Um, okay, <clears throat> I mentioned before the break that I want to tell you how what words I use when I set a boundary. So I have a healthy relationship with myself. I figured out what my core values are. If somebody asks me to do something that violates my core boundaries, I, if you're new to setting boundaries, you're probably going to say it defensively and angrily and be like, no, I'm not going to do that. I have a friend who does that all the time. She says it so angrily instead of like, oh, sorry, I wish I could help you out. Uh, anyway, so I say, oh, I understand what your need is, but I'm sorry. My policy is... My policy is like my personal corporate policy in my life and my world. I love the word word policy. Instead of my boundary is or my rule is, I just say, you know, I wish I could do that for you, but my policy is I don't lend money to friends. Or I wish I could help you out in that area, but my policy is I don't drive people to the airport. (laughs) Those are not true, by the way. I've done both of those. Uh, But anyway, so that's what you do. You just make your, you say that's what your policy is. Okay, let us go to social media. If you'd like to follow and post a question, you can at Dr. Wendy Walsh, TikTok and Instagram, Kayla's checking. Here we go. Dear Dr. Wendy, what happens if you fall pregnant with them days after the breakup? And want to keep the baby, but he has blocked me. Whoa, this is deep. And his family are sending threatening messages asking for DNA test results. All right, so your question is emotional. Your question is political. Your question is legal. So I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> Although I think you should get one. <laughs> Just going to say, I think you're going to be needing a lawyer here. Um, and I guess the question really is, if you broke up with this person, what kind of parent do you think they're going to be? And if they do push for custody, because now we're starting to realize that fathers have rights. Da, da, da. And if his family, after you do the DNA test, says um, we want 50% custody, they very likely may get that. And so you realize you're going to have a relationship with him and this family for the rest of your life because they don't exist in a vacuum, babies. They're bridges between tribes, even warring tribes. So um, my first of all, my heart goes out to you. I'm so sorry this has happened. I don't talk to a lawyer about whether you legally have to get a DNA test You may say, I don't want any child support, so it doesn't matter. But at a certain point, that kid's going to get real expensive, and you might want some. So I would plan for that. I'm I'm sorry, but children deserve two parents. 
and they deserve to have relationships with two parents, some kind of relationship. That's my opinion. All right. That breaks my heart. Moving on. Dear Dr. Wendy, I am sober and dating. Congratulations. But the guy I'm dating now is not sober and drinks often, but does not get drunk. I'm wondering if this is too much of a conflict. I am working 12-step programs. I am 39. He's 49 uh, with a 10-year-old son. I think he's the one with the 10-year-old son. Okay, you need to talk to your sponsor about this. Okay, you need to talk to your friends at AA. I don't know what stage you are in in your recovery, but they usually say that you're not supposed to date for an entire year while you're recovering because the triggers are just too great. And remember, the tool that was available to you to cope against um, negative feelings is alcohol. And every, even wonderful, happy personal relationships can trigger us. And I don't want this to impact your sobriety. I would definitely take it to your sponsor, to the next AA meeting, um, talk to your therapist. These people will know what level of recovery you're at and whether this is tolerable. All right, dear Dr. Wendy, (laughs) I'm reading this and I'm going to read it just as this person wrote it. Oh my God, you've done it again with your radio show. You made me realize too much about myself and my relationship. (laughs) That's sweet. Um, This person says, first of all, I'm definitely guilty of holding a grudge and telling people about uh, it for them to feel the same way, which was a wow realization. I think we talked about that last week, right, Kayla? Um, so what is the best way to move on therapy or can you teach yourself to do this differently in a word therapy, 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 therapy. I mean, look, I am here standing before you as a humble human, not only because I have a master's in psychology and a PhD in clinical psychology, but because I am the veteran of 18 years of therapy. Now it wasn't uninterrupted. In fact, in my therapy session yesterday, you see. I can breach confidentiality because I own the confidentiality. I said to her, "Uh, how many years have we actually, and she said, how old is your oldest daughter? And I said, she's turning 25 in a few months. And she said, well, you came to me pregnant with her. (laughs) Wow. She knows everything. So I said to her, okay, just, you just, just say something nice to me. Just, you know, uh, Am I the longest patient you've ever had? And she said, yeah, yes, you are. Is that that's a compliment? <laughs> it's a compliment. Aww. The longest. That means she does an amazing she job knows with me you. better than and I said, uh and she asked about, you know, should we wrap up at some point? And I'm like, no, I still keep learning. I still keep growing and learning. I and love it's the that. best money I spend. Aww. Uh it really is every week. So there's my answer. Therapy, therapy. Uh also this person has a second question. Do I have time to answer real quest quick, Kayla? Yeah, go for okay. it. She says, uh, secondly, I have a question about setting boundaries with family. If you say to your family, quote, your tone is upsetting me or this conversation is upsetting me to anyone in my family, they would freak out. They'd follow me out of the room with questions about what I mean. How do I deal with that? Okay, so first of all, you shouldn't start a sentence with you or your because that's pointing fingers at them. The way to set a boundary is to say simply, I feel myself getting agitated when I hear your tone. So I'm going to leave the room and we'll talk about this a little later. Now, when you leave the room and they follow you, you go further. You pick up keys, you get in a car, you put on rollerblades. I don't know. You go surfing. You go further. You you have to set the boundary physically if they are physically chasing after you. 
But you don't start with you do this and you need to change that. You say, I'm feeling this, so I need to take a little break, but I want to come back and talk about this later. Okay, Uh, the next question is, someone asked me, is there any such thing as free sex? You will not believe my answer when we come back. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. I am answering your social media questions. If you'd like to follow me and submit a question, you hear me. I always keep it anonymous. I'm not giving away details. Um, you can do that. And the handle everywhere is at Dr. Wendy Walsh. That's at Dr. Wendy Walsh. All right, a listener asks, is there any such thing as free sex? Now, Kayla, on the break, you and I were talking a little bit about this, and you think there is such a thing as free sex. I do. I just want to say for the record, no no judgment. I never had a one-night stand. You know, not (laughs) as of this this day. Who knows the future? But as of this day, I never had one. But I feel like if it's a one-night stand, I saw that person once, I'll never see them again. Isn't that? and, and, And they didn't buy me anything. Maybe the club just went that way. Isn't that a free free sex exchange? They didn't get anything. I think we both got the same equal. Oh, what do you? Well, I was thinking we both got pleasure, but right. That... So, so free to you means that there was no cost in terms of monetary, emotionally, ah, emotionally. Yeah. All right. So there are a few people out there, especially those with an avoidant attachment style, where intimacy, emotional intimacy, is very stressful for them. So as a result, they can more comfortably have sex without feelings, and they actually prefer it that way. Yeah. But the vast majority of humans have some kind of emotional experience. Now, the emotional experience may not be positive, right? Like, for instance, when I was young, I used to have one-night stands. See, they weren't even called hookups then. They were called one-night stands. To re-injure myself, Mm. because I had an anxious attachment style— when they wouldn't call me back or didn't call me back because they weren't supposed to, um, I would get to wallow in feelings of longing oh. and pain that followed it. Or I would have a one-night stand with someone who was, you know, an unattainable alpha male, and I felt for that moment like I could get him, and then later would feel the feelings of loss and pain afterwards. But even the ones that I had, the short-term relationships, there's a little... You know, when you exchange bodily fluids with somebody, there's a little connection. And if I got, and it happens every once in a while, a text or a social media message from somebody I'd had a sexual relationship without um, commitment, um, I, I feel it in my tummy. It's like, oh, there's that person again. And they, they don't forget. They don't. There's always, there's some little emotional string. Always. Wow. Even if it's the smallest kind of emotional string or even if the emotion is anger or dislike or disgust yeah there's an emotional piece so they're acting out something every interpersonal relationship is acting out something from early in your life okay let's go back to instagram dear dr wendy i started following you and you never seem to address why women are attracted to men who sleep around this has been a phenomenon for the last five years when will you address this nonsense Because it's absolutely the truth. Well, is it the truth or is it nonsense? Uh, I know what you mean. Okay. So I have talked about it, and I invite you to listen to my podcast, Mating Matter. The episode is called The Trouble with Testosterone. Uh, Women are attracted to men who are female-approved. So the difference in evolutionary terms between how men pick mates and how women pick mates is this. 
men, even if they're a modern thinking, forward thinking, woke, progressive man, never feels 100% comfortable if a woman tells him about her sexual exploits or even tells him about the number of people she slept with. Because in our anthropological past, because we have concealed fertility, you can't tell when a woman is fertile or not, the only way he had to ensure paternity was to make sure that he kind of quarantined her and kept her away from other men. And this is an ancient reflex. It's not designed by patriarchy in modern times. This is an ancient reflex that men do not like women who have multiple partners. Secondly, they don't like women who give them sex too easily. And women think, oh, I'll be the nice, sweet one, and I'll hook up with him, and I'll be no problem, and he'll fall in love with me because he'll see that I'm the girl that gives him no problems. Nope. It's the B-word girls who have strong boundaries who get the commitment in the end. But as far as women being attracted to men, something different happens. When women are attracted to men, we look if that other women have approved of him. So we look at, well, if he's gotten these other high-status women, he must be great. Like, for instance, you want to know a secret? Yes. I found out like in the very early stages of dating my boyfriend that way back in the 1980s for a brief time, he dated Madonna. (gasps) I know. So I make sure I tell everybody that. Well, I just told you and everybody (laughs) because. And in fact, if he ever gets a text or an email from her, I'm thrilled. You're not jealous. You're not like Madonna. I'm like, are we invited over? Like. (laughs) (laughs) So, um. That's how it works with the female psyche. It proves your man is an alpha male, that he's attractive to females, that he's a good provider, that he's female approved. And didn't you in the past date someone who also dated like Whitney Houston or something like that? So you're always oh, yeah. in the in the circle with the big gals. Yeah, I was always chasing those alpha males who kept yeah. me as a little side thing. Um, I didn't like that. Yeah, that's not a good Then they'd be on the red carpet with the stars. And then um, they'd call me after at the end of the night. And you'd answer back then? I'd go visit. We'd do the naughty. Yeah. It was, it was, we all grow through that. We huh? grow. Yeah. I wouldn't be who I am today had this not happened. Okay. Uh, let's see. One more question. Do I have time for one more? Oh, there's so many here and they're so good. You could probably squeeze two more. Should, or should we do another segment on questions? Because there's so many good ones here. Let's do that. Hello, Dr. Wendy, says this person. I seem to have an anxious attachment style. I don't know why I'm giving you an English accent, but I am. I seem to have an anxious attachment style when it comes to romantic relationships, but I have a very secure attachment style in other relationships. Is this possible? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I totally related to your story about when your boyfriend flew to Ireland. No, he didn't. He went to Scotland. And the timelines in his return didn't add up. This is totally me in romantic relationships. Okay, what I was saying is that it was hard to connect because we were on different time zones and I felt a little bit of abandonment anxieties creep up with the phone calls, et cetera. And also I would be in a morning mood and he'd be in a going to bed mood and we didn't seem to sync in that way. But let me tell you this about attachment. It's not like you have one attachment style and applies to every single person in your life. If you go online, here's a great attachment test. Just go Google the words, Chris Fraley, F-R-A-L-E-Y, Chris Fraley. He's one of the biggest researchers on attachment. And producer Kayla, can you please work to try to get him on the show? I would love to have Chris Fraley on our show. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, I actually, I reached out to him like three or four times, but. 
Chris I Fraley, will not give up. If you're listening, please take Kayla's call. Get on the show. Please. Anyway, so if you Google the words Chris Fraley attachment test, you will come up with a very well-respected, used by clinicians around the world, 36-question test. And in the end, you won't be told, here's your attachment style. You'll be asked questions about the relationship you had with your mother, the relationship you had with your father, the relationship you had with your best friend, the relationship you might have with a platonic friend. And in the end, you get this really cool chart that shows the different kinds of relationships and the attachment leanings with each one. So it is possible to have different kinds of attachment style. When we come back, I want to continue to answer your questions because they're really good. You are listening to the Dr. Wendy Wells Show on KFI AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 